0: This episode is brought to you by our great sponsors. Do you build WordPress sites? Are you hitting the limits of your coding knowledge? Break free of your limits and do far more than you ever thought possible. Formidable Forms will help you build robust applications quickly without any PHP. Take on bigger projects, earn more clients, and grow your business. Get started today at buildpodcast.net slash forms. That's buildpodcast.net slash forms. BoldGrid works as a suite of plugins designed to help you create WordPress websites faster and easier than ever. BoldGrid will improve your workflow by providing direct access to free themes, page templates, photography, design elements, forms, galleries, and much more right from your dashboard. And the BoldGrid page builder allows you to easily drag and drop and edit this content as you see fit, all without having to use shortcodes. To learn more, head over to buildpodcast.net slash boldgrid. That's buildpodcast.net slash B-O-L-D-G-R-I-D. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Uh, today, my guest is, I never, I always forget to ask how to pronounce the last name, so I hope I don't butcher this, Daniel Bockuber of WBCR. That's pretty good. All right, you got it. awesome, uh, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome. Thank you for joining me. We're going to talk about a product that I just recently started using, like much to my dismay. Like I wish I started using it like a long time ago. Uh, it, it helped me delete like three million spam comments from a database where nothing else, like literally nothing else, worked. Like like using WP CLI. To write a direct query to the database was the thing that worked best for me. So uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about this and and everything that you've done for it and then and then plans for the future. So why don't we start off with telling us a little bit about you uh, and about WPCLI and and how you came up with or acquired this idea, right? Because I think it was somebody else's before yours. Is that right?
1: Yeah, the project started about five or six years ago by a guy named uh, by the name of Andreas. And then, um, you know, he worked on it for a little bit. And then a, another guy by the name of Scribu, also known as Christy, picked it up, was the maintainer for a few years. And I picked up maintainership after that. And so I really got into it from, um, my time at WordPress.com VIP. And the context there is, um, you know, WordPress.com VIP you know, at that time was hosted on wordpress.com and wordpress.com is this massive WordPress multi-site installation, right? It's huge, huge tons and tons of code. Every VIP client is a theme in the themes directory, right? So thousands of clients potentially in thousands of themes. And one of the kind of aspects to working for wordpress.com VIP is running scripts against client sites You know, an example is I want to assign category B to all posts with category A. Well, because their site is hosted on WordPress.com and it's shared tenant architecture such that their site is sharing the same code base of, you know, all the other sites on WordPress.com, it required us as, you know, VIP code wranglers uh, to run those scripts. And at the time, you know, VIP had. Dozens of these scripts that performed one-off tasks, you know, quite helpful, quite helpful, you know, because you'd get a support ticket, you know, someone wants to do something, then you'd look in the bin directory and see if there was a script for it. And if there was a script for it, then you saved yourself two hours of time writing a new script for it. However, the challenge at that point was that every one of these scripts had different usage instructions and different idiosyncrasies. And it was, you know, 15 to 20 minutes each time to figure out how it worked and whether it actually worked for your needs or what, you know, it was slightly different than what you needed and you'd have to adapt it. And so that just kind of drove me bonkers up the wall. I'm an OCD, you know, kind of details-oriented type of person. And I just could not handle the fact that all of these scripts were so difficult to run. So I wanted to standardize usage instruction and uh, Thorsten Ott, another VIP engineer at the time, recommended I check out WPCLI as a project to kind of emulate. There was already the concept of writing custom commands, so he suggested I write you know, custom commands for the different things that I wanted to do. And I ended up getting really involved contributing to WPCLI, a lot of the bin scripts that were on uh, the WordPress.com code base. And then from that, you know, eventually Scribu decided that he no longer wanted to maintain WPCLI. And so I stepped in as as the new maintainer.
0: Nice, nice. So uh, WPCLI is an open source project, right? Anybody theoretically can contribute to it?
1: Right. Open source, MIT licensed. You know, I have a lot of thoughts on open source that have really matured over the years, which is kind of interesting. I do believe generally in the statement of you know, open source is one of the greatest ideas of our generation. It's had huge transformative impacts on every single industry already. And I think it's very much underappreciated. You know, many huge businesses are built on open source code, where, you know, whether or not that project is moving forward or not is not actually something that the company may even have visibility into. So they've created this dependency on, you know, some piece of code that, and, and community of volunteers and maintainers and that sort of thing that they just, you know, don't have any interaction with. So, yeah, so it's an open source MIT licensed command line interface for WordPress. Anything that you can do through the WordPress admin, you can do it the command line. And, you know, like you experienced, you don't really know what that means until you experience it. And it's just mind blowing. It's like, I used to do this through the web like this is bonkers you know and even when i use the web now i have you know all the different url patterns for the admin memorized so i don't even you know i can bypass the clicking through you know cuz the clicking through is actually somewhat time consuming
0: yeah absolutely i mean like it's it really is if you know anybody listening out there i would encourage you to to check out wpcli i know that command line interface can be scary if you don't work in it a lot but there there are some things I do. There's some <laughs> Right bu- right before this call, Daniel's telling me how he's uh hanging pictures and the one picture that was hanging up just fell. I'm gonna have to like take a screenshot and include this and in the And the show. frame
1: broke too.
0: Oh, this man. is
1: the problem that I had last with my last set of picture frames. And so I thought I got more durable. <laughs> were durable hangers and now oh. I didn't and so I'm actually probably going to take the rest of them down because I don't want to break more frames <laughs> ah. oh man it's just you know to bring this back to the to- you know topic at hand it's just like getting destroyed by a bug like you think you've fixed the bug you've pushed it to production it works for five minutes and it's caused all these other problems yep. that now you have to clean
0: up <laughs> Yep. So actually, that's that's a great segue because you are um, you're one of the more developer centric. You're like a, a heavy back end dev, I would say.
1: Oh, I do CSS too. Don't okay. get me wrong. I do Sweet. actually. So one of my first jobs, I was digital media manager at CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, and I did everything from server admin to back end to front end. To design on the front end, to print design, to wow. teaching HTML CSS classes.
0: Nice, nice. And that's, are you from New York? I'm from Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay. Well, gotcha. out, out,
1: you know, outskirts of Portland, Oregon, suburb. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Cool, very cool. So, uh, but like, I guess some of the things that you do for WP C L I is, is very heavy backend stuff. So... You know when you when you acquired WPCLI, uh, and this is also really interesting too. What was that process like? Because most all of my guests, if not, yeah, I'm pretty sure all of my guests at this point have been working on projects uh, and talked about projects that were their brainchild, but this was one that you you acquired. So can you tell us a little bit about that process?
1: Sure. I think it goes even before then because once I started contributing to the project and there was not even an idea in my mind that I'd eventually became the maintainer you know I was submitting a lot of pull requests and getting code reviewed and feedback from Christy and that was I I immensely appreciated that experience because I felt like it brought my it brought my own skill set up you know way 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 up and it was also an opportunity to better understand how, you know, through that process, how he approached the project and thought of the project and made decisions about how to implement certain features, whether or not something makes sense to add as a feature, you know, all these different decisions that you have to be making on a daily basis that are very implicit, you know, judgment calls. There's not necessarily a rule book that you follow, or easy way to make these decisions, because the decisions too can have Long-term lasting impact for better or for worse. Uh, So you kind of really have to develop that uh, philosophy of the project and how the project approaches the problem that set out to solve or the opportunity that set out to create, and be consistent and true to that. Because that consistency, too, you know, consistency in how application behaves is a key part of the user experience. You know, if a user is going to be using your tool day in and day out you know, they expect it to operate similarly, even when it's a huge, massive application that does many different things. You know, if there's little micro differences here and there, it can actually be a huge, you know, mental burden and cost uh, to the end user. Yeah, so, you know, I spent a year just kind of under his tutelage learning, you know, how he was approaching the project. And it was a big concern of mine to take it over, you know, whether I would fulfill the same level of quality that he'd achieved, you know, in, in running the project. And I, you know, I'd like to think that I have, and I like to think that the ways that I've moved it forward have been, you know, net positive for the project, but that's certainly a huge, uh, risk and challenge of, handing off a project is whomever you're handing it off to, are they going to, you know, cause the, um, there's kind of a implicit pact that you have with your users for better or for worse, right? You're releasing this software to the world. You're releasing updates to it. You are developing a relationship with the users of your software. And from that you build trust and, you know, hopefully a, a good working relationship. And so, it can you know in order to transfer that trust to someone else as an incoming maintainer you have to have trust in them that they're going to uphold the nature of that trust
0: yeah absolutely and I, I mean you see that when you you hear you know one company is buying up some product that you love or something like that you get worried that as an end user is the product i love going to change
1: right right
0: so I and I mean, you know, it's it's worth that's definitely worth saying, you know, it's it's just as hard as on the original developer to make that decision and and hopefully they're doing it for the greater good of their users. So you took on this open source project and I think that, you know, something that we see a lot in the WordPress community is uh you know, people building Big businesses around open source projects, but that can always be a challenge. So, uh, when you took on WPCLI, did you intend to try to build a business around it and make it profitable so that you could put time towards it, or did you intend on having it kind of be like a a pet project?
1: Sure, certainly. At the beginning, I had no intention ever to you know try to commercialize it. To me, it was always this project that, you know, I really enjoyed and appreciated and, you know, thought it fulfilled a valuable role in the ecosystem. And I wanted to just, you know, as a part of my way of giving back or whatever, and to scratch my own itch, I wanted to see the project continue on as it had. In the last year, that thinking has changed a bit in the sense that I've really come to appreciate So, you know, I spend a good amount of time on a regular basis maintaining the project. And I think that projects that last a long time and are considered healthy, it requires that input of regular consistent labor, people doing the unsexy work that's needed to, you know, keep the project healthy and, and move it forward. And so initially I'd I'd gotten into that and been able to kind of contribute that on my own on a volunteer basis, uh, comfortably, you know, alongside my consulting business. It just, you know, I fit it in alongside all of my other work and, you know, would prioritize getting new releases out and that sort of thing. Although releases would be delayed by, you know, up to four weeks, you know, five weeks. If I had some other big project that was going on, just taking all my time. And in the last year, I've really developed this opinion that WPCI, in order to be successful in the long term, needs substantial commercial investment. Ideally, in my opinion, from a few different players, because well, it needs commercial investment because. You know, it had received my own commercial investment over a period of time and I think benefited from that. But I can't be committed to the project, you know, indefinitely, you know, 30-year lifespan. And when it's time for me to move on, I want it to live on, I want it to be able to live on beyond me without having to you know, hope, you know, like depend on luck that someone else thinks it's within their, you know, self-interest to volunteer, you know, a huge amount of time, uh, towards the project. So, you know, last year I developed this opinion that it needs commercial investment. And I decided I'd start my own business as a way of being kind of the first one to contribute significantly to WPCI, And, over the course of the year the business it actually like evolved reasonably well. You know, it was maybe doing as well as kind of like any other premium plug in sort of business could expect to be doing after a year. But I realized that, you know, my own time is zero sum and at you know, at the point of like a month ago in December, that the time that I spent on my business run command was time taken away from WPCLI, the project, because in both cases, like it wasn't enough money coming in that it was like, I could take away from my work to put into my business. And, and because, you know, they were on similar, but divergent paths, I came to the realization that, you know what, like, as much as I want for this to work out, there's no guarantee that it's going to work out. And I, you know, I think I just need to call a spade a spade and, and end it as an experiment.
0: Gotcha. So I guess we can, let's get to the, the banner question here, right? And there's a couple of ways that we can do this, right? And, and the banner question, of course, is how did you build WPCLI, which was a pre-existing product that you've uh, attempted to build a business around. So maybe you can kind of talk about your development tools and, and a couple of the deep dives into kind of the WordPress uh, WordPress core uh, to make it work, but also the things that you did to try to build a business around WPCLI, what worked and what didn't work, and then we can move into kind of your plans for the future uh, WPCLI support. Sure. So
1: the first tool that comes to mind is a testing framework called BHAT. And B is behavior or actually, I think it's business driven development. Let me just Google that <laughs> behavior driven development. I don't know why I thought business. Anyways, point being, you might be familiar with, you know, PHP unit and unit tests and unit tests test a particular unit of functionality. So for instance, a function that formats zip codes, right? You'd write a series of unit tests to verify that, you know, given all these different scenarios where a scenario is some data that's input by end user, you know, the function correctly transforms that data into X. So hat is different in that your tests are actually written at a much higher level, written in a way that, you know, if you have a form where credit card or a, a zip code is, you know, an input field on that form, the hat kind of how the test would be approached perspective would be you'd write a test for the entire form. And the filling of that uh, zip code field would just be, you know, part of the bigger, test of the behavior of the form being filled out and submitted and the expected behavior of of you know when you submit different values and that sort of thing so it's a much higher level testing framework and I think that it's actually really worked out well for wpcli the project in large part to you know how Christy set it up initially, but it's enabled us to yeah, I think that build quality is a very important part of WPCLI. You know, not shipping bugs, not shipping regressions, that sort of thing. And, or, and when you get to a five, six year old project, you really do need to have test coverage in place to have some level of sanity that you're not just causing, you know, but random bugs, you know, that no one's going to discover for six months. And when they do, it'll be, you know, painful discovery. And so because of BHAP, I think the project has been really able to mature at a, at a healthy pace, a healthy clip because, you know, all levels of contributors have been able to contribute to it. And it's easy for, you know, the maintainers to determine, yes, this contribution passes existing tests and adds some new functionality. And there's new tests for that functionality and so on.
0: Gotcha. So that's, that's really cool. Uh, Testing is something that, automated testing, I should say, is something that has become very popular in the WordPress community in the last few years, I feel. And and correct me on this analogy, but the unit test would almost be like kicking the tires on a car, right? Like making sure the air is, is in the tire. And then behavior testing would be like, drive, like going on a test drive with the car. Is that about right? Right,
1: right. Going on a test drive in the car on a snowy road. On a dry road, you know, on a rainy road, so on and so forth.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, those two can definitely work hand in hand. You do the unit tests, you release the full form, and then you do the behavior testing. Is Mm -hmm. that okay? Yeah. So with WPCLI and there not being a, a kind of a front end piece to it, could you kind of maybe walk us through one of the behavior tests for that?
1: Sure. One of the ones I actually just wrote this morning, in fact, there's a series of commands around manipulating the object cache. So the WordPress object cache is, um it's just the default implementation is in PHP memory when it uh, read some data from the database, it'll store that in a consistent way in PHP memory to prevent that, you know, when that same data is queried again from it hitting the database again. So it's just, a, you know, easy, easy to implement scaling layer. So WPCLI so, go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry. So just uh, like you want to get the, the post with the ID one, two, three, you grab it from the database at first and it's stored in object right. cache so that every time you want to access that post, you're not hitting the database, is mm-hmm. that? Correct, okay. correct. Cool.
1: And so there's a series of functions that, you know, you can call in your own code, wp-cache-get, wp-cache-set, that sort of thing, that there are equivalent CLI commands. So actually... Yeah, I mean they're more or less the same right they, you know wP cache get <laughs> is the function but it's also the wp cli command so the test that I wrote this morning that there's some behavior of the object cache in that you can save key value pairs of data but those key value pairs of data can also be a, as a part of groups and you don't aren't required to specify a group you can just you know use the key value pair uh, pair, but if you wanted to group your data, you know, in in a, for a reason that makes sense for whatever you're working on, then you can do that. So WordPress's behavior is that if you don't supply a group, it uses the group of default. And when you don't supply a group, that also includes supplying an empty string as a group under the hood it will change that to the default group. And so the messaging in WPCLI was incorrect uh, in that if you you know did WP cache set and your key was foo and your value was bar and your group was left blank, it would say successfully set you know object key in group, you know, empty string. Well I'm OCD about these sorts of things. And so I noticed that and thought, oh, it would be more correct to display to the end user that the empty group that they've provided is actually the default group. Because when they go looking for where the data is, you know, WordPress kind of equates those those to be the same thing. So I wrote a series of B-hat tests that when I did WP cache set and didn't supply a group, it would... It ended up in the default uh, group, and the messaging you know was was corrected to be such and and b hat you know just you've got to check it out because it's so good. all of these tests are written in very human readable form, so even though you may not be familiar with like how hat works under the hood and how all of this ha- is happening. Once you become acquainted with the language, you know, when I do this, then I expect to see this. You write that out in English and then hat executes the test suite for you. And, you know, if something is wrong with your code and your tests aren't passing, you have a great degree of visibility into that. And not only that, but because it's automated, easily run it on on every you know change to the code base and it just like you know it's hard for me to imagine working on a mature project without test coverage at this point because I'm so terrified you know it's easy to make accidental mistakes if you don't have test coverage you just don't even you know you may think you know the impact of you know this two-line change that you're making but you don't truly know the impact unless you have test coverage for it
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like you you know, you make some assumption that X was working before I made the change and therefore X is still working, but anything could have happened to X, Mm -hmm. we know. So And to bring this
1: yeah, to bring this back to running an open source project too, like I think that tests are invaluable for a project because if you want your project to be open to a variety of contributors, random drive by contributions from people that, you know, decided that they wanted to, to fix some bugs or whatever, you know, trust is a huge factor of that, right? Like, how do I trust this? How do I know that I can trust this person's code and that the code that they're submitting, you know, cause they're coming by once, right. They're going to, yeah. you know, submit a pull request, you know, hopefully they'll see it through to completion. If it causes a bug and you have to deal with that bug three months ago, then it's kind of like, Net neutral contribution to the project, right? Cause it's like, well, it's great. You know, I love having new contributors, but if new contributors are just contributing a bunch of code, then it's like my total amount of time and effort has been greatly increased. And so with tests as a part of the equation, you can really think through the contribution as a series of tests that you know, you want to have passed, and if there aren't sufficient tests, then you say, "Hey, please add some tests to this, so that we can have this conversation about in a, in a very explicit way describing how that new functionality is expected to work."
0: Gotcha, and that makes a lot of sense. That's really great to hear. I'm really glad that we're talking about uh, the testing because I think that's at least for me, that's a big sticking point. Like, I hate testing my code personally because mm-hmm. you know I'm. Essentially, I build something and then I'm trying to break it. Mm-hmm. But to, to kind of keep it on the open source project route, like we said a little while ago, uh, making these things make financial sense uh, could be tough, right? Recently, it was announced that you tried to do a few things to to uh, make some money to allow yourself to spend more time on WPCLI. And an announcement came out that it was falling under kind of the WordPress.org blanket. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about as much as you can, how that happened and then what that kind of means for the future of WPCLI?
1: Sure. So basically what happened is the beginning of December, I came to this conclusion that, you know, creating run command, premium commands business isn't, isn't going to work out. You know, I just don't have a great degree of confidence. And part of that is the lack of confidence is that I think it's, Really hard to sell developer tools to developers because <laughs> there's this unless it's like something obvious like an application that you can download, but when it's like of the open source realm already, you know people are you know, there's just a you know negative mindset, mm-hmm. and 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 similarly too, I found that when I was working on the premium WP CLI stuff, it wasn't as enjoyable because. I had less users, you know, I didn't have people asking as many questions. I like working in the open. I like being able to accept contributions from people and that sort of thing. So I just came to the conclusion, you know, it's not going to work out. And as like a last ditch effort, I launched this kind of like, I mean, really the best way to describe it is like, give me money campaign, (laughs) like very direct ask, like how much is WPCLI worth to you? If it's worth you know a hundred bucks a year, then give me a hundred bucks a year. If it's worth fifteen hundred bucks a year, give me fifteen hundred bucks a year. If it's worth you know seven thousand a year, then give me seven thousand a year and it was you know it's like I'll give this about like ten fifteen percent chance of working out where working out is being able to raise a reasonable amount of money, and I haven't made that number public because I think that there's a lot of challenges with like transparency reports. But at a high level, my goal was to be able to pay myself part time to work on the project, and then also be able to hire. And and this is still the goal, to be able to hire a couple other people to work part time on the project. And I think the part time aspect is really important because I think that you need to be able to you need to be solving problems in the real world and have real world problems to solve. But then you also need dedicated time to contribute those solutions back to the open source project that you're responsible for. I think a lot of open source projects actually struggle because, you know, their contributor base doesn't really have the dedicated time to seeing a solution through in in the project that they've, uh, you know, been dependent on. So, so that, you know, so like, give me money campaign, ran it for a week, you know, I'd kind of gotten to like a break even point. Yeah, it was not great timing, to be frank, like asking companies for money at the end of the year when their budgets are already pretty much done. It's like, eh, not, not the best decision making on my part. But what it came down to is I actually don't own the WPCLI.org domain. And I was talking with Andreas, the original creator, about him giving it to me in some form. And he was on the fence about whether or not to give it to me outright or... Or lease it to me for like a buck a year under some terms. Because it's this, you know, it's like there's parallels in the real world. It's like a park that I'm responsible for maintaining. And there's like this, the original creator of the park that wants to make sure that the park remains like open for everyone to use and that the monetization aspects don't like hamper people's abilities to use the park. Mm-hmm. And this this timing for this, you know, kind of negotiation was the same time that I was meant to take a vacation and like just be able to mentally check out from work. So again, not, (laughs) not great timing on my part. And when I finally, you know, got to talking with him again, I was, you know, they kind of give me money ask. The intent for that only was ever to like make enough money to be able to hire people to work on the project. It wasn't to like operate a independent business. It's like profitable that I'm going to sell. And, and so, you know, just kind of given the challenges involved, you know, I was like, this is like, it doesn't make sense to do this independently just because like, even if I can like raise enough money for the first year, well, the, the give me money, like my goal was, you know, kind of bare minimum. And then I was going to like run advertising on the site or something to make more money. You know, yeah. So I was just like, eh, not not going to work out, and and you know the you know WPCI being the official WordPress project has always been in the cards. Like personally, I have liked its independence in the sense that, like, I feel like it, it that independence gives its gives it the opportunity to operate at the intersection of everyone's needs and commercial wants and not necessarily be, like, influenced by one, you know, key stakeholder. But I think I've got an arrangement worked out with Matt now where, like, I can still feel comfortable with that. But it also now has a long-term future because, like if I get hit by a bus, like there's going to be more people that can just kind of like pick it up and, you know, who knows how the project would move forward after that point. But at the very least, like I no longer feel solely responsible, you know, for the project. And, and two, there, I think it's like really important to acknowledge and, and appreciate that just because it's an official WordPress.org project doesn't mean Like I'm still fundraising, like I'm Mm -hmm. like at a bit about a fifth of the way towards where I want to be. And WordPress itself is the creation of, you know, dozens of companies that uh, contribute, you know, significant amounts of employee time towards the project, right? There's DreamHost employees, there's GoDaddy employees, there's Bluehost employees, there's Automatic employees. And a lot of that, you know, is kind of like, you know, come from Matt's ability to negotiate that with with the companies. And so for WPCI, it's a little bit different of an experiment in that the crowd, the funding will actually come from a variety of entities. Like, I think I've gotten 60 individuals to contribute, you know, so far. and And it's going to fund, you know, part-time involvement instead of full-time involvement, which I think will lend itself more productively to WPCLI project. But at the end of the day, you know, behind every, you know, well-maintained open source tool that we love is some company that's decided that it's worthwhile to contribute significant amount of time and effort and investment into the project. And without that, then projects just kind of you know fall apart and aren't maintained anymore. And you know everyone's <laughs> it's like I actually just started using Laravel Valet which is amazing. It's like so good. I love it. (laughs) And, uh, and then I look at the issue tracker and there's like, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 issues or something. And a lot of them don't have replies. And it's like, uh, doesn't make me feel super great to be dependent on this tool. That's not being, you know, super actively maintained.
0: Yeah. I've, I've actually heard like some fodder about the people, like the gatekeepers who are like, that's not an issue. And then just like close issues. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, Laravel the the project or Laravel Valet but that doesn't instill a lot of happy feelings in me mm-hmm. but we are we might be a little bit over time this uh, this half hour has flown by we talked about a lot of great stuff and I want to end with uh, the question that I ask all of my guests which is do you have any trade secrets for us
1: yeah hmm. I actually my favorite trade secret is time tracking Because there was a time where I didn't pay attention or keep track of how I spent my time. And now I do. And now I have much more awareness of how I spend my time. And I feel much more in control of how I spend my time. And I think that is like the most important thing for long-term success in open source. Because, you know, open source is just like, always going to be demanding of all of your attentions and you know you'll feel obligated to work on it on the weekend and that sort of thing Mm. and if you don't have awareness into how much time you're spending on open source you really have no effective way of evaluating you know your, your kind of success in in what you're doing i
0: think gotcha and what do you use to track time i use harvest
1: It's amazing. Love it. They only charge me 12 bucks a month. And it's like, you guys need to charge me way more because I get way (laughs) more value out of this than 12 bucks a month. It's got a little Mac widget thing. That's like money for, uh, for login time.
0: Nice. That's fantastic. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking with you about a whole bunch of things. I'm sure the listeners did too. Hey, thanks so much. Hey everybody. I want to tell you about a new book I wrote with my good friend Matt Medeiros of The Matt Report called The Podcast Starter Kit. It's a QA-style book that tells you exactly what you need to get up and running with your own podcast. I've had lots of fun over the last several months with how I built it, and I want to share what I've learned with anybody looking to start their own podcast. In the book, Matt and I try our hand at answering 23 questions that you need to ask yourself before you get up and running. We also include several resources, our favorite equipment, and a checklist at the end. Head over to thepodcastbook.com to check it out. It's only $24, and it'll save you hours of time researching the right tools, where to upload your podcast, how to run a good interview, and a lot more. That's thepodcastbook.com. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to our great guest and fantastic sponsors. If you liked the show, please rate it and subscribe on iTunes, in Google Play, or whatever your podcast app of choice is. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out at howibuilt.it. And finally, until next week, get out there and build something.